I heard of an old, with many years of experience, farmer who made this comment about milking cows, of all things. You're going to wonder what's that got to do with the book of Hebrews. About milking cows, but what he said really is a comment about all of life. And he said, the hardest thing about milking cows, observed this farmer, is that they never stay milked. <laughs> In other words, each day he had to do it all over again. This is true of so many things in life. Many things in life have to be done over and over and again and again. It's like saying, how do you keep something nice? Well, you take good care of it on a continuing basis. And so it is with your faith and with my faith, with a living, vital, daily relationship with God, you need to take care of it. Sometimes you might ask a friend, hey, how are things going with your marriage? And sometimes you may hear back, oh, things are okay, but you know what? We really need to get away together. We need to spend some time alone and kind of catch up with each other. You might even hear, well, actually we've been drifting apart. Oops, stop, put on the brakes. If that's the case, you need to jump on it right away and get back to being right with each other because a relationship is a fluid kind of a thing, isn't it? Well, just suppose that the question for today with us was this. So how's your relationship doing with God today? Uh, are you guys close? Uh, have you been drifting any? I remember the old saying, and I think somebody turned it into a bumper sticker, which is what people are liable to do with good sayings. And it was, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? Here's where we are today. We finished chapter one of Hebrews. Hallelujah, what a great chapter that was. As a matter of fact, rethinking chapter one of Hebrews, I just call it a great celebration. It was a tremendous celebration. It told us God is... It told us God speaks, and it says, and when God speaks, it's the Son who is speaking. Jesus is better than the Old Testament prophets who used to speak for God, or the angels who used to deliver messages for God. Jesus is better than that. Hebrews chapter 1 is very much like when John said in his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1, verses 1 and verses 14. In other words, God the Son took on human form as God's final, decisive Word to the world that He loves, that He created, and that He cares for. Somebody might say, well, what about those angels? Aren't they pretty fantastic? And the Hebrews, of course, believing that the angels were there delivering God's law to Moses there on the top of Mount Sinai as it quaked and shook and lightning and smoke. The angels were in on that, weren't they? They must be fantastic. And the first chapter addresses that as well. It says angels are great, but Jesus is greater. 
God has spoken by his son. And this son is creator, sustainer, and owner, and ruler, and redeemer of the world. Wow, what a, that's why I call chapter one of Hebrews a celebration. You just get blessed by it. It's interesting, though, that in all that you read, the awesomeness of chapter one, we're not asked to do anything. It's just kind of like, sit back, you're going to enjoy this. Let me tell you what, God speaks. It's his son that's speaking. He's greater than angels. And on and on, we find out who he is. But in chapter two, there's a little change. And the little change that takes place in chapter two is we're given an exhortation. An exhortation, a challenge. We're given a command. We're given an instruction to be careful and to watch out and to do something by God's word. I kind of summed up the first exhortation out of the book of Hebrews in this way. Just one word. Listen! <laughs> Didn't Jesus say, whomsoever will hear? Didn't even Jesus say, be careful how you hear? Doesn't he even say in the book of Revelation as Jesus speaks to the seven churches, let him who hears. So the first exhortation that comes out of this tremendous book in chapter 2 is listen. You know, I was trying to think of ways in which we listen. It's more than listen. It says, give the more earnest heed. Heed is a little heavier than just listen. Uh, it kind of goes like this. Uh, um, it's one thing to listen to somebody give instructions, like when you're learning to get your driver's license. Does everybody remember that? Getting your driver's license. Okay, you listened, you paid attention, but it was a total different thing regarding the laws when you were actually showed up at the DMV and there's the person with the clipboard and all of a sudden, you're not just listening and remembering what you heard, but you're giving an earnest heed to all the laws on the streets. You're like, what's the speed limit here? Is there oncoming traffic? Uh, you know, is there somebody in the crosswalk? You know, uh, am I turning on my indicators? That's the funniest thing happened when uh, Lisa uh, got her driver's license, our youngest. I went with her. So we're, so we're at the DMV and she's going to drive my car. So I pull my car up into the little bay there and then out comes Lisa and the, the lady with the clipboard. And so I'm standing there, you know, with the, with the car door open and the lady in the clipboard goes, the first thing I want to check is the headlights and I want to also check the taillights. So she's standing at the back and I want to make sure that the turn signals and indicators work. And I jumped into the car and started turning on the lights and the brakes and there. And she walks over to my side and she goes, Excuse me, I'd like to see her do it. <laughs> Talk about an overprotective parental unit, you know. But I was not just listening to that lady. I was giving earnest heed to whatever it is that she had to say. So look at this. Here it is. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. The what we must do is listen and not just live, listen, but to give the earnest heed to the things we have heard. Now, it's interesting that there's a connection then, a solid connection between the celebration of chapter one and the instruction of chapter two. And the connection between the two chapters is given to us in one word. 
And the word that connects chapter 1 with chapter 2 is the word therefore. That little word therefore is a powerful word because it tells you to take something from the past and now bring it into the present and operate by that. Uh, therefore is kind of a reasoning word. It says this. It could be said this way. Since God has spoken to us by his son, the creator, the sustainer, the owner, the ruler, the redeemer of the world, for that reason, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Now, he's writing to Hebrews, so let's think about the context for just a moment of these verses. As he writes to the Hebrews in this letter, it's those who have heard Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's probably some people in this crowd that he's writing to that actually heard Jesus. That actually, can you imagine that? Saw him right up on the Mount of Olives, you know? As a little kid, they saw that. And they were the ones that were screaming Hosanna. And later that week, they were screaming crucify him. But they saw him. They knew him. Or it was just like one generation away. Where now maybe some of these people, you know, have said, well, my dad told me and my mom told me and I, I saw and I talked to people who had seen him in the resurrection. It's that close. So the Hebrews that he's writing to, he's saying to them, hey, look here. You heard the words of Jesus. You heard the gospel. Look, you even received Christ as Messiah. You understood that he was the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament. You realized that he was your final sacrifice. But guess what happened? They were getting pulled back into religion rather than relationship with God. And I thought to myself, if that could happen to them, so closely connected to the time of Christ, being pulled back into some kind of religious ceremony as some kind of satisfaction that they were right with God, then guess what? If it could happen to them, it could happen to us. Absolutely. You see, uh, we can profess Jesus, uh, yet live like the Dickens. We can say we're born again, but not live like it. We can say... Christ is our Savior, and then somehow forget that He's also my friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our griefs and, you know, our troubles, He bears those things. We can slip out of gratitude and into complaining. We can slip out of love for each other and into a judgmental spirit. We can be puffed up with knowledge of the scriptures and forget that love is what it takes to build each other up. Look, I'm preaching to myself as I read these verses. We can all stop listening and we can begin to drift away. We can become heady with knowledge. I heard that already. I know that already. I sang that already. I've been there already. Look, it doesn't make, look, this is talking about something very personal. It's, it's, it, it's not even connected to what church you go to. It's not even connected to through which pastor you heard the word. This is connected to each person individually. Are you giving heed 
Is Christ near and dear to you? It's got nothing to do with me. Listen, when you get to heaven, you're not going to say, hey, wait a minute, Jesus. It's the church I went to. <laughs> That's kind of like Adam. It's the wife you gave me. <laughs> it just, that just doesn't hold water. I know because I've tried it several times and gotten no <laughs> sympathy from the Lord. <laughs> of course, I get the best wife in the world, so I got nothing to complain about. The writer of this book not only gives this information, but he also includes himself. And so even by, I think by the fourth verse, he goes, we, we, he includes himself in this. This is every believer is in here. Now let's talk about the word drift, drifting for a moment. And I'm not talking about driving a really fast little sports car going around a corner and letting your tires smoke as you drift around the corner. Drifting is an interesting word. If you've ever been on a boat or a canoe without an anchor, you know a little something about drifting, don't you? Drifting. Uh, it's like when you go to the beach and there's all your friends and your blankets are all set out and your cola and you're by, uh, you know, Tower One with the lifeguard. Then you go jump in the water and you swim for a while. You all know. You come out of the water and you go, Tower 19? Where'd, all, where'd everybody go? How <laughs> did I get down here? You see, uh, swimming is a kind of interesting thing. Drifting is slow. Drifting is quiet. And it's hard to notice. And the trouble with drifting is, by the time you figure it out, what? You're already, you're already down the road someplace. And what happens with drifting for the believer, it's, it's like this. You find yourself in place, places, saying things and doing things that you never would have said, never would have done, never would have gone to if you were close to Christ. And for the believer, it's often that awareness that comes and you go, oh my goodness, what am I doing here? And you see yourself in the mirror and you go, what are you doing? Come on. You know better than that. It's kind of an awareness that comes that you've drifted. Here's another way to think of drifting. It can mean to just float by. It is what a piece of bark or a leaf or a dead fish does in a stream. It floats right by. Floats right by the canoe of the believers that are rowing and going upstream. It takes no life. It takes no motion. You just float by in your Christianity. One needs only to do nothing in order to float by. You see, one of the great challenges of this particular amazing book is that we must come to the recognition of how vitally important it is to listen to Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the living word of God, God in human flesh. That's why I'm calling this series Eyes on Jesus. It's like the answer to everything. <laughs> What's going on with your job? What's going on with your boss? What's going on in your relationships? What's going on at home? Hey, you need to put your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> Again, the exhortation is we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. Interesting that this is the exhortation 
which I summed up in one word, which is listen. So I suppose I could have walked out here and said, hello, church family, the lesson for today is be sure and listen. God bless you. See you next Sunday. <laughs> You'd say, well, that's an easy thing to do. <laughs> you know, God just wants me to listen. That's not a hard thing to do at all. Is it? <laughs> is it a hard thing to do? I suppose it's a hard thing to do if I allow myself to be distracted with listening to other voices rather than the Lord's. Because believe me, in today's world, you have voices coming at you from every possible angle, don't you? Radio and television, you pick up your cell phone, your, your laptop, your, your iPad, your whatever, you know, all the talking heads. And we're living in a culture right now where everybody has their opinion about everything. Am I right or am I right? Just let me give you my opinion about that. Oh, wait a minute. I'm doing the same thing. That's the thing. That's Welcome to the spirit of this age. And the spirit of this age is critical about everything. You post something on Facebook or Twitter or, and what's, what comes after it? <laughs> Oftentimes somebody criticizes, you know, who do you think you are? But you're like, oh my gosh, I just said have a nice day. <laughs> How dare you tell me to do that? You're just doing that because you're, you're like, wow, what a world we live in. It's okay to criticize everything. I don't know. Did Jesus do that? <laughs> I'm following Jesus. We're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to be humble before each other, not just before the Lord. We're supposed to be kind to one another, encouraging one another, lifting each other up. That's our job. That's what you've been called to do. Where did I learn that? Because I heard it from Jesus. Eyes on him. Oh my gosh, how complicated we make it when we begin to criticize and get critical and have a judgmental spirit. Oh my gosh, I've lost touch with who Jesus is. I can point fingers at this, that, and the other, and if they only, and if this only, and if that should, and why not this, and how come I, and oh my gosh. That's such a sad way to live. So I could be distracted. Or I could just say the word of God's not a priority to me. It just isn't. Let me tell you about, I remember when I first got saved. Do you remember when you first got saved? It's a good thing to remind yourself of that every now and then. And I remembered thinking, when I have my Bible with me, I remember thinking, I'm going to read something right now. And the God who created the whole universe is about to speak to me. Guess what? I still do that today. I pick up the book of Hebrews and I go, oh my gosh. The God of the whole universe is about to speak to me. Is about to speak to this church. I get real excited about that. I think that should be on the evening news, don't you? <laughs> I think it should say, Newsflash, creator of the universe, now speaking by his son to whoever will listen. Woohoo! Hallelujah! That would be great. That would be good news. And so this asks the believer, Have you drifted away from that? Look at verse 2. For if the world spoken 
if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast. Hey, when the word's given, it, cha- it doesn't change. It's immutable. It stands. It, 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 it's the, fi- the word of God is the final word on everything. You live long enough, you're going to see God's word come to pass over and over and over again in the people's lives around you, won't you? Somebody say amen. <laughs> you know what that's like? It just, God's word comes true. So here's what it says. Look, if the word spoken through angels passed along to Moses proved steadfast, And every transgression and disobedience against the law received judgment, that is, just reward. That's that's pretty strong there. Uh, Just think of it. Uh, We've got something better, don't we, than the old covenant that was given by prophets and angels and Moses? Don't we have something better? Jesus comes along and says, "I, I forgive you of all your sins. All the law, all the bad, and all the, that you've done, I'll, I'll remove it as far as the east is from the west just by putting faith in me. Why? Because I'm willing to be your substitute. I'm your substitute for the bad things you did, and I'm your substitute having done good things, and I'll charge those to your account. <laughs> Wait a minute, God. Look at my ledger. Let's be honest, Lord. Here's my ledger. Or maybe I shouldn't call it a ledger. Maybe I should call it my rap sheet. Anybody got a rap sheet before God? Oh my goodness, just rolls down the street. And <laughs> you should see my rap sheet. I talked to a brother at Tea Challenge on uh, this past uh, Tuesday morning. And uh, he comes up to me and he's been there for a while. He's just about to graduate to uh, Riverside and finish out another uh, uh, eight months there. He is just filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and he comes up to me and he goes, we were talking for a little while and he goes, you know, uh, I feel a little guilty and I, I would hate I would hate it if you ever saw my rap sheet he goes it's really long then he goes but you know what I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus I said hallelujah that's what God does he does not only that the elimination of your rap sheet so that you're standing before God judge and the Lord says to the angel, pull out this guy's rap sheet. The angel goes, just a second, I'll be right back. Flipping through the files. Or flipping through the files. <laughs> and the angel comes back to God and goes, there's nothing on, the, on this guy. He's, he's got nothing on his rap sheet. And that's where Jesus steps up and says, I took the penalty of your rap sheet. Father, he's forgiven. Hallelujah. But wait a minute. It gets even better than that. Jesus goes, oh, uh, pull up all the good stuff on that guy. Pulls up all the good stuff. And it's all the things that Jesus did are now attributed to you. What? Are you sure about that? Absolutely. He makes you an inheritor You're on his inheritance. How do you like that? Jesus says to you, hey, I just thought I'd let you know, I wrote you in as a co-inheritor with me. But I didn't do anything. Or actually I did things, but they were all wrong. Jesus goes, I've forgiven all your minuses and I've given you all my pluses. So how do you like that? Do you think that beats the old covenant? 
I like the Messiah. How about you? I'm feeling pretty good about Jesus right now. You know, I'm loving it. Lord, how did I? Oh, what thing? What, what, just believe. Just believe, and that's yours. So a greater word bought, brought by a greater person, that's Jesus, not prophets, not angels, having greater promises than the Old Testament, will bring a greater condemnation if we neglect it. Doesn't that make sense? I heard the story of an ungodly landowner. He dies, and they discover in his will that he had left many acres to the devil. In the court, they didn't quite know what to do with it. How do you give land to the devil? Finally, the judge decided... The best way to carry out the wishes of the deceased is to allow the land to grow weeds, the soil to erode, and the house and the barn to rot. It is our opinion the best way to leave something to the devil is to do nothing. We can leave our lives to the devil the same way. Do nothing. Drift with whatever current comes along that's stronger than, than, than you can withstand or that you just freely give yourself over to. It says, how shall we escape? Notice the word we. I personally think that this is Paul the Apostle who's writing this letter. You can differ with me. It's okay to be wrong. <laughs> I could be wrong. It might be Apollos. Who knows? It might be Priscilla and Aquila. It might be Luke. I don't know. I think it's Paul. But the writer of this fantastic letter who has a tremendous understanding of the gospel and of the Old Testament says this, how shall we? He includes himself in this exhortation. This exhortation belongs to every believer. How shall we escape if we neglect, important word, so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord himself and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. I want you to take note of that first word, neglect. Tell me, straight up, if you neglect a relationship, what is very likely to happen next? What does it do? A relationship you neglect. It dies, yeah. A relationship dies. So drifting begins with our salvation being no longer counted so great a salvation. Look at this. How shall we escape if we neglect what? So great a salvation. Well, when I first got saved, man, it was so great a salvation. Oh my gosh, this is awesome. But how is it now? Is it no longer so great a salvation? Is it you see, we, we have this tendency where we, can, where, where we can drift or we can cool off. We're not, we're not hot. We're not on fire anymore. And in our heart, we may not be so grateful anymore. We may not be so committed anymore. We may not be so loving anymore. And we have transferred relationship into some kind of religious activity. Oh, well, look at all the dry, things I'm doing and, the, and the, all the... What, hey, and by that, God will now take notice of me and he'll show, no, that's, that's not it at all. Well, look how worked up I am. Well, that's not it at all. Don't work yourself up. Let God do it. 
I can do it. No, you can't. But God can do it in you. How? By maintaining that place of so great a salvation. By heeding, paying earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. So drifting begins when our salvation is no longer counted as so great a salvation. I remember back, somebody saying, oh, I remember back in 19-something. 19 and something. <laughs> Man, I was on fire for Jesus back then. I was a, at every study I could go to. I took in the word of God as though I was a sponge. I read it every day and I wanted others to hear about so great a salvation. Where are you now? And it is not, look, this exhortation is that. It is not a condemnation. This is an exhortation based upon the celebration of chapter 1. God is, God speaks, it's Jesus speaking. Keep your eyes on him. And notice, which at the first began to be spoken of by the Lord. Bible students, do a little study on this. You're going to find this fantastic. I know I did. You see, the word Lord is the word curious. And every Hebrew, Hebrew knew who this was. And here's how they knew that it, who it was. Because in the Septuagint translation, every time the word Jehovah comes up, or Yahweh, it was translated as curious. Interesting, huh? So what this verse is saying is, to the Jew... The Lord here to the Jewish reader is Jehovah. That's fascinating to me. Okay, verse 4. It didn't thrill you as much as it thrilled me. <laughs> but it thrills me to read that. Anyway, verse 4 says, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Notice, not my will, not your will. So whatever it is that you say you want to be, awesome, praise God. I want to be a pastor, I want to be a teacher, I want to be this, I want to be that, I want to have the gift of healing, awesome, God bless you, but it's not by your will. It's by God's will. And God just does it. And he does it as a gift, so it's not based on the person's goodness, it's not even based on the person's ability. I don't know how God does it, he just does it. It's his own sovereign will and choice. Your position then is to ask God, what's my gift? What's my position? Where have you placed me within the body of Christ? And then, Lord God, help me to do the thing that you've called me to do because I'll be judged based upon what I have been called to do and not what anybody else does or has been called to do. Amen on that one. God confirms his word with signs and wonders. He confirms his word to help us to believe. Jesus did that. His miracles showed people who he was. I love seeing people get healed by God. There's people in here that's been healed by God. Praise God. I love it. Love to see that. And I love to see the way he hands out gifts to people. And some person that you think was going to crash and burn, <laughs> all of a sudden they're just filled with the Spirit and they got the gift of helps or, you know, they're a deacon in the church or whatever the case may be. It's awesome to watch that. And folks begin to do great works and great love for each other. But I love most of all the greatest miracle. The miracle of a changed life. 
Lives once chasing the wind, chasing after vanity and empty, finding the way, the truth, and the life in Jesus Christ alone. That's a miracle. We are not to neglect our relationship to God. We are not to drift. We are not drifters. We're not the drifters, are we? Who here remembers the drifters? Oh, good. <laughs> Look it up on YouTube, you younger ones. The drifters did a song called This Magic Moment. <laughs> the song was about falling in love. And in that song are the words by the drifters. The magic moment will last forever, forever till the end of time. Well, for the believer, our salvation is one that goes right on into eternity forever. Amen? That's the only way in which I want you to be a drifter. Here, let me close with this. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 tell us this. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Where is it? which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I had somebody tell me yesterday morning, it is more vital now than ever as we, as we come to the end of time, as we come to the rapid approaching of Jesus Christ, it is more vital than ever, believers, that you find yourself in Christ, about Christ, listening to Christ, eyes upon Christ, don't let any part of your life be found outside of Christ. All of it in Christ. Because that's where there's no separation. That's where all the blessings of God are in Christ. This is the kind of faith that we're to exhibit. The kind of faith I want to live out. That's the kind of faith that will not drift. It's the faith that listens to the word of God. Applies it to our own lives daily that does not neglect our relationship with God, but keeps it vibrant. Keep your relationship with God alive because He loves you, because He calls you His own. And as we find out next week, you can read ahead the rest of the chapter, Jesus identifies with us in humanity in every possible way. Just like you're human and you're a little bit warm today, <laughs> Jesus is fully human. There is a human at the right hand of the Father. Right now, there's a man standing at the right hand of God, sitting there as our high priest, having finished his work, and he's praying for you, interceding for you. Fully God, yes, and fully man. And that's what we'll talk about next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I truly thank you for these first four verses of Hebrews chapter 2. Thank you for the exhortation, Lord. We will pay the more earnest attention to this. Lord, help us not to neglect our relationship with you. Because, Father, we know what happens with neglected relationships. And, Lord, we don't want that to happen in our relationship with you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for one greater than prophets and angels who identifies with us fully. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name and all my dear brothers.